This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It is good to be here as a community of learners, as a community of faith, as a community that is here in person and also virtually. I'm Courtney Joyner, the Seminary Chapel Minister, and I am pleased to have with us this morning, virtually, Reverend Crystal Siegel, who is the Virginia Conference of the United Methodist Church, Associate Director for Call and Candidacy, and you will be hearing more about her later in the service before she brings us the Word of God. As we sing our hymns this morning, we will need two hymnals. The first two hymns are from the United Methodist Hymnal, and pay attention to the stanza numbers that are in the bulletin. Um, if you are looking in the hymnal verses on the wall, you'll notice that the very last stanza of the first hymn, you have to flip the page for. Number 57 has the first few, and then number 58 has the last stanza up at the top left corner. And with that said, let us stand and gather our voices in the opening hymn, number 57 and 58 in the United Methodist Hymnal. Do, 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 do. join together in prayer. New every morning is your love, great God of light, and all day long you are working for good in the world. Stir up in us desire to serve you, 
to live peacefully with our neighbors and all your creation, and to devote each day to your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Our Hebrew Bible reading for this morning comes from 1 Samuel 28, a selection of verses. Now Samuel had died, and all of Israel had mourned for him. Saul had expelled the mediums and the wizards from the land, and the Philistines assembled and encamped at Shunem. Saul gathered all of Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, not by dreams, nor by Urm, nor by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, so that I may go and inquire of her. His servant said, There is a medium at Endor. So Saul put on other clothes to disguise himself and went there with two men. They came to the woman by night, and Saul said, Consult a spirit for me, and bring up for me the one whom I named to you. And the woman said, Surely, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cast, he's cut off the mediums and the wizards from the land. Why then are you laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you. And the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he answered, Bring up Samuel for me. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, saying to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, Have no fear. What do you see? And she said, A man coming up. He is wearing a robe. And so Saul knew that it was Samuel. Saul bowed with his face to the ground and did obstinence. And then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up here? And Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me. God has turned away from me and answered me no more. And Saul said, The Lord has done to you just as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear. There was no strength in him, for he had not eaten all day and all night. 
And when the woman saw that he was terrified, she said to Saul, I have taken my life in my hand, and I have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also listen to your servant. Eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. And Saul said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him forward, so he got up from the ground and sat on the bed. And now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she quickly slaughtered it. She took flour, kneading it, and baked unleavened cakes. She put them before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Our gospel reading for this morning comes from Luke chapter 15, verse 20 through 24. Hear these words. So then the son set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. His father ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, Quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put, him, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. These are the words of God for us gathered here, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's turn together to number 348 in the United Methodist Hymnal. Number 348, we'll sing stanzas one, two, and four.
my pleasure this morning to introduce our guest preacher. Reverend Crystal Siegel is here as the conference rep for the Virginia Conference of the United Methodist Church. She is here with us in chapel and also to visit students virtually, and she will be sharing with you about that at the end of the service. Reverend Siegel is an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church with over 23 years of ministerial experience. She earned her dual Master of Divinity and Master of Arts in Christian Education from Union Presbyterian Seminary in Richmond. Initially, Reverend Siegel was appointed as chaplain at United Methodist Family Services working with at-risk youth. She moved to the Pacific Northwest Conference and served local congregations in Seattle, Washington for eight years. Upon returning to Virginia, Reverend Siegel was appointed to her seminary alma mater in the communications office and ultimately came to work in the office of President Brian Blunt as Director of Hospitality Ministries. Reverend Siegel is currently serving as the Associate Director for Call and Candidacy in the Virginia Conference in the Office of Clergy Excellence. So we welcome Reverend Siegel this morning.
Reverend Joyner, thank you so much for that warm welcome. And I also want to say thank you so much to Reverend Sarah Bixler. Uh, both of these fine colleagues have been shepherding me uh, in my time with you all at Eastern Mennonite Seminary, and I'm truly grateful. Thank you so much. Um, hello, friends in Christ. Um, I confess I'm a little nervous to speak to you today. Um, this passage I've chosen from 1 Samuel has a woman who's a medium, and in some translations, she's a witch, <laughs> a ghost, a king, and a death sentence. Um, maybe great themes for the month of October, uh, but not necessarily characters or topics we think of when we think of discerning a call to ordain ministry. Um, you should know, I tried to abandon this passage um, for something more traditional, like, come and I will make you fishers of people, or um, repent, uh, I mean, go to Nineveh and tell those people repent, or um, take off your sandals for here is holy ground. Um, but this passage kind of got a hold of me and kind of followed me around and wouldn't let me go. Um, as we go along this morning, I just want to invite you to be in a mindset of um, proclaiming the word with me, uh, to actively be reflecting on these verses and what they might mean for you directly in your own life. Um, we believe our scriptures are alive and well. Um, and that they're speaking to us right now in this place and time that we find ourselves. So even though I'm the one talking, I want to invite us into the spirit of collective proclamation. Would you pray with me? God, as we share reflections from your scriptures, let everything we say, and think, and hear be acceptable in your sight. Let everything that is inspired from this time be for the building of your kingdom and your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. When the Old Testament passage opens in 1 Samuel 28, it's a tough night for Saul. Um, it's been a series of tough nights. Saul and Israel's army are encamped at Gilboa, and the Philistines lay in not-so-incognito wait at Shunem. The Philistines are the most legit enemy force Israel has ever faced. Saul prays to God but God does not answer, right? Not dreams, not prophets. And to intensify matters, his direct hotline to God has been cut off in the death of Samuel. It's like you had a phone with one contact and that contact with God was God and you lost it. Silence. Saul has so many questions for God. Is this gonna go our way? Do you still favor me as king? Do you still love me? Friends, in your life, do you ever have that kind of desperation, wanting to hear from God? I know I have, wanting to just feel some connection, recognition. Saul is so desperate to hear from God, he'll try anything including consulting a medium. The trouble is, Saul has banned all the mediums from the land and has ordered their execution if they practice their craft. Even so, Saul asks his servants to find a medium, and they answer, I think one lives at Endor. So as a way to not spook the medium, pun intended, Saul disguises himself in different clothes and travels to Endor with two servants. When they arrive at the medium's door and request her services, 
She feigns not to know what they're talking about. <laughs> Why are you at my door? I mean, clearly you've got some bad information. And by the way, don't you know that Saul has ordered all the mediums killed if they practice their craft? We have here in this moment is two people standing face to face, disguised. Saul dressed in plain robes, pretending to not be a king. And the woman cloaked in her words, pretending to not be a medium. I wonder if any of us here today find ourselves disguised somehow. Oh, now wait a minute. Reverend Siegel, this is a seminary community. That's a silly question. I mean, we're here, right? Seminary students, staff, faculty, how could we possibly be disguised? I'm sure there's no one here who said they'd be a preacher when God said be a missionary. Or someone who said they'd be a Christian educator when God said be a liturgical artist. Or someone who agreed to be a scholar when God said be a public theologian. Just say amen when I hit the mark. Sometimes these disguises we wear seem crucial to our excess, success, not excess, success, to our ability to procure what we so desperately desire. I mean, talk about crucial. In the Old Testament narrative, we have two people disguised, hoping to preserve their own lives. Saul is hoping to save his life through a military victory, and the meeting medium is hoping to save her life through remaining anonymous. Chances are in our disguises, you and I are also trying to preserve something, a certain level of comfort, a certain perception we have of ourselves, a certain way of being in life. In the wake of the medium's denial, Saul assures the medium that no harm will come to her. Now it's tempting to rush ahead, right? We know the story. We know where it's headed, but in this moment, in the space between verse 10 and verse 11, after Saul offers his reassurance, but before we know what the medium will do, it's this hinge on which the story swings. The medium has options. She can persist in her denial. She can try to make a run for it. She can send them down the road to some other medium. But... If the medium refuses to unveil herself, the story is stalled. It is, in fact, because she takes this ginormous risk. I mean, just think about it. A single woman living alone, entertaining visitors at night, and whose profession is illegal. But it is in her risking by admitting who she is, that the story of God's people is able to unfold. I wonder what are the things you and I are being asked to risk so that God's story can unfold. There are those in our communities and around the globe who do risk life and limb like the medium for the gospel. Our Coptic Christian siblings in Egypt know all about this. However, you and I are also called to risk, to risk our sense of competency, to risk our level of comfort, to push ourselves to lead with empathy, with our vulnerability, 
to give of our time, talents, gifts, and service when we don't always even know where to begin. Like the medium, you and I have options. We can persist in our denial, look for an exit, pass the issue on to someone else. But unless you and I admit who we are, we deny the one who made us exactly as we are. We can stall the story or we can step into the light and actually help it unfold. Now, now that the medium's identity and purpose are aligned, she is empowered to answer Saul's request. She asks Saul, whom shall I summon? He answers, Samuel. Upon seeing Samuel, the medium realizes she is in fact dealing with the king himself. Why have you deceived me? You are the king. Again, it's tempting to race ahead. We know the story, but it's here between verse 12 and verse 13. After the medium asks Saul to make his intention plain, but before he answers, we find another hinge of the story. Saul, too, has options. He can leave. He can ignore her question. He can even punish her for asking. Instead, he admits his true identity. Again, as a result of this admission about who he is, the story moves forward in a dynamic way. Now we learn that what Saul has suspected all along is true. His death and Israel's defeat are nigh. Now that Saul's identity and purpose are in alignment, he is able to feel the full weight of what is about to happen to him. He surrenders to his fate and to his place in God's story. When the story begins, the medium and the king meet one another as incongruent entities. There is a push and pull between them, a series of stalls in God's story. But now that their outsides match their insides, the stage is set for a very different kind of interaction, an interaction that unfolds as a profound act of hospitality. In light of Samuel's declaration, Saul succumbs to despair and lies down on the medium's bed. She goes to him and tells him he needs to eat. Initially, Saul refused And now you have to trust me. Ultimately, the medium prepares a final meal for Saul, which includes a fatted calf, a dish prepared for those to be honored. In short, a meal fit for a king. The words fatted calf send our minds racing to another place in scripture where a fatted calf is prepared in Luke's gospel in the parable of the prodigal son. When a father's son who's been lost to him for many years returns, the father immediately has compassion for his son, calls for a robe for his back, sandals for his feet, a ring for his finger, and a fatted calf for a celebration to end all celebrations because the son was lost, but now he is found. On the surface, the scene in Luke's gospel and the scene in 1 Samuel chapter 28 could not seem any more juxtaposed. 
One depicts a celebratory reunion of family, which culminates in a meal fit for a king and a second chance at redemption. And the other scene depicts a loss of another chance to be God's own favored, where someone is declared by God to be unfit to be king. However, in both scenes, the preparing of the fatted calf for the meal is understood as an act of lavish grace, as an act of nurturing, welcome, and comfort. The father in Luke's gospel and the medium of Endor, in the fullness of their identities, are able to pour out all they have, able to show deep compassion to people who are perceived potentially as being undeserving. But you and I know God's grace is meant for everyone regardless. The people in these passages are full of light and shade. Once their masks are removed, distances are closed, people are engaged to the fullness of who they are and the fullness of the people in their immediate sphere. But when you and I show up as our full selves, when we engage the fullness of others, in your experience, what is the result of that? This indescribable act of radical hospitality in both stories could happen if people remain disguised. But how would the meaning be shaped? Part of what makes the medium's compassion to Saul and the father's compassion for his son so radical is that we understand what is on the line for all parties involved. It's because we understand the truth of the context and the people in which these miraculous acts of grace have been shared. Lives are changed when people show up as their whole selves. God's story is not hindered. It flows like unbridled water. Our work is in knowing how to make time and space for the fullness of everyone to be recognized, honored, and empowered. The Hebrew word for disguise is kofas, with the root to seek with the causation to conceal oneself, or in other words, to allow oneself to be sought. Friends, let you and I not be in a position to be sought. Let us instead remove our Let us own every gift and every shadow of ourselves, knowing that in doing so, we honor God. We share the good news. And we can offer the kind of hospitality that recognizes the fullness of the people that we serve. The kind of hospitality can change lives. Amen. As a good United Methodist since the time I was baptized at six weeks of age, I certainly know the movement of the Holy Spirit, and I have felt that movement with Reverend Siegel's message today. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is leading us in this time of prayer to depart from what is in the bulletin and to instead spend this time in a moment of silent reflection on our own calls and the journey where God may be leading us. You may meditate, pray in the silence of your hearts. If you wish to have some guided reflection, 
you can go ahead and open your Voices Together hymnal to page 816, where you can read the words of the hymn that we will be singing, or on the opposite page is some art that may be good reflection during this time of meditation. So let's take a moment. And now, friends, let us join our hearts together as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's, let's stand together and sing number, what is that number? 816. And uh, we'll jump around with the verses. God, my feet, while I run this race, oh God, my feet, while I run this race, oh God, my feet, while I run this race, for I don't want to run this race in Thank you. 
We have a couple of announcements for you for our community events for this week. First is Reverend Siegel, who will be issuing you an invitation. Oh, thank you, Reverend Joyner. I just want to invite everybody who is Methodist to meet with me. Um, we have sent an email to Methodist students who might be connected in some way to the Virginia Conference, but even if you're not connected to us and you want to talk to us and take us for a spin, uh, please uh, be in touch with Reverend Joyner uh, or also refer to the email that I sent. Uh, thank you so much for letting me be here with you and worship today. It's been a privilege. Thank, Thank you, you so much again for joining us today. And next week, we hope you will join us back here, same time, for our Hispanic Heritage Month chapel service. And Carlos Malvez, a seminary student, will be bringing us the message that morning. Friends, as we go forth to serve, let God inspire your feet so that you will not, so that we will not run this race in vain, but instead we will be guided by God's Spirit. Go in peace. Amen.